All right, welcome to another edition of White Collar Crimes. I'm your host, Ryan Horn, the podcast where we tell you and show you the only color that truly matters in the criminal justice system is green. And tonight we have another special guest that has been on here with us before, uh, and she's also, you know, a listener, and she's joined in on a couple episodes, and Sondra Ferguson joins us again from Washington State, and thank you, as pleasure as always, to have you aboard. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me back. So we had a chance, and uh, Greg and I did a little follow-up, and I know uh, you weren't able to make the one we did, but just a little bit, you know, I know you read the book on the Operation Grey Lord, and I'm sure you were not shocked to find that there was massive legal corruption going on somewhere besides Washington State, I bet, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I, I think we've all kind of heard, no offense, but we've kind of all heard about Cook County. <laughs> yes. It's, out here <laughs> its reputation precedes itself for a reason but I, but you know i was actually surprised to find it in my clean green washington you know that we have we have stuff like that going on here too yes and um, you know it, it was amazing and this was a shock because you know this judge is from the area where i'm at here in southern illinois you know for those that aren't familiar never been to illinois it is drastically different than the northern part of the state i mean when I worked at the sheriff's office, I uh, worked with a guy that was from Arkansas originally, and he said Illinois was the most, you know, polarizing, divided state he'd ever seen in his life. I mean, it is a world of difference from the northern part to here, weather-wise, and you know, politics, culture, everything. I mean, it's just drastically different. And yeah, Judge Lockwood was just floored that you know not only that the corruption was going on in Cook County, but it was it was the norm, not the exception. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you think that the the cleanup that they did, um, you know, uh, had staying power? I, you know, Greg and I mentioned that, and I think it probably did for a little bit. But I bet after a while, I would say, you know, it's Chicago, it's Cook County, it's known for what it's known, and I would be more than willing to say it. It probably just returned back to business as usual after a while. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I can remember a few years back the FBI did a little study, I guess you could say on, you know, some of the most corrupt cities in America and Chicago was voted number one. I think, uh, I think New Orleans was up there and I think Newark, New Jersey, you know, and a few other places like that. But I mean, Chicago, it's just so massive. Um, you know, as I said there, it, it was just really a way of life. And, uh, you know, like I said, I figured you probably would not be shocked by reading that, but, um, was there anything that really stood out to you that, you know, kind of surprised you, though, from that? Well, I think that I was, I, you know, I was um, shocked, actually, by the extent of it. But, um, but I also, you know, I, I just finished the end of the book today. Um, and that made me feel better as they took them down one by one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, that, that left me at least with a you know, a satisfied feeling, but I, it seemed so widespread that, you know, I think, what did they get? 18, 18 judges and some 50 lawyers or something. Yeah, 50 lawyers or so. And uh, yeah, it, it was, it was massive. And, uh, you know, uh, the FBI claimed they had these judges under surveillance before Judge Lockwood came and brought it to their attention. But, you know, I really wonder without him coming forward, would it have really gotten, the success that they had, I, I don't really think they would have, you know, it really took one person to courageously speak up like that. And, 
you know, really helped deliver the goods and the evidence that they needed. I don't know that they would have been able to gather the evidence they did without Judge Lockwood either. Right. And when you think about how, you know, how widespread this possibly is, this sort of corruption, I mean, not, it's not certainly not limited to uh, Chicago. Um, you know, the FBI would be putting out fires all the time, you know, if, if only we could get them to, you know, investigate all of this. And I mean, I think setting an example certainly um, must deter some, some of this, but boy, I don't know. It's just pretty depressing. It is. And uh, I know you had a chance to hear the podcast we did recently on, you know, Eric Kahn. And, and, you know, here it is again, this is a rural area, Eastern Kentucky. Uh, you know, once you get outside of Lexington is, you know, pretty rural area, you know, and, you know, you hear you have an attorney from a rural area like that, that made millions and millions of dollars on a scam and not only made millions of dollars, but destroyed lives. You know, it was, yeah. it was a very disturbing case to me because, you know, a few people committed suicide and, you know, uh, some people ended up homeless. And for those of you maybe that didn't catch that episode, this one we're talking about was an attorney in Eastern Kentucky who was named Eric Kahn, kind of ironic. His last name was Kahn because he was a con artist, but he devised a scam. And again, those of you that may not be familiar with Eastern Kentucky, it's much like Southern Illinois where I'm at here. It's, you know, it's coal country is what it's called. And, you know, the coal mines are a huge industry here and, you know, they're very rough work. It's hard on you. My grandfather was a union coal miner and uh, he died with, you know, all kinds of lung issues and things like that. Very, very tough on your body. And a lot of people yeah. that do this kind of work end up disabled. I've got other family members that have worked in, in the mining industry and, you know, it takes a lot out of you. So there's a lot of people that end up disabled in this field and they were legitimately disabled, but he managed to get a reputation as the go-to guy for this because he found a crooked judge to partner with and that would rubber stamp every one of his claims. And he also found crooked doctors that would, you know, again, rubber stamp every claim, even though, to be honest, most of them probably were legit because again, that's a very brutal job coal mining can be. But, uh, you know, and that, this is what stuck out to me about that, Sandra, and I'm sure you're aware of it, too. A lot of times, you know, the corruption like this, and in, in, it's not just if, you know, in the legal profession, because here, you know, Mr. Khan actually managed to corrupt people in the medical profession in his scam as well. Right. Or they were, they were waiting to be corrupted. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I think, you know, I, I think that um, my, you know, in this part of the world where I'm from, um, you know, I, I, I discovered the terrible truth that the Bar Association um, facilitates, uh, you know, they don't go after these guys, they actually are those guys. Yes. And that, <laughs> uh, you know, and that was something too, in that case, again, those of you that didn't hear the podcast on Eric Kahn last week, two ladies from the Social Security Administration kind of picked up on his scam, and they reported it. And rather than being praised for what they did, they were shot down by their superiors. They were harassed and hounded by Khan and some of his uh, flunkies and thugs and whatnot, anybody he could hire to harass them. But, you know, the path to, you know, sometimes exposing this stuff is not easy for the people who do it. And I know, you know, your experience in that right now in your situation dealing with the, you know, Washington State Bar Association and, uh, you know, uh, our heart goes out to you because, you know, I'm sure most of the people listening to that would say that because, you know, it, it's an uphill battle. I mean, 
you know, these ladies, uh, I don't know if they stayed working for Social Security or not. If I recall, they both had to get out of those jobs finally because of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. I think they end up getting settlements because they sued and, you know, whatnot because of what all they went through. But, you know, there's no telling what kind of hell they had to go through, you know, and just simply for telling the truth and doing the right thing. Have you ever seen um, the movie Spotlight about the Catholic Church? I have. Uh, yes, my uh, wife and I caught that. And uh, yes, that, you know, that's something. Remember, remember the attorney um, who was, you know, the attorney for the victims? And he said, um, it takes a village to molest a child, something to that effect. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, and we know there too, you know, there was massive amounts of corruption and cover up, you know, going back decades, you know. Right. Uh, it's uh it's just you know it's a very sad and unfortunate situation but uh you know yeah sometimes the cover-ups are not easy to expose and you know greg and i commented on this when we spoke about you know lockwood and the case you know of operation gray lord we're really surprised you know he he passed away uh, i think just a few years back down here but you know he retired and went into private practice and everything for a while but we're really surprised there was not that we know of a really serious attempt on his life Mm -hmm. you know exposing what he did in yeah. chicago I, I mean you know you're talking you know judges yeah. and attorneys i have no doubt that had close ties to organized crime and things like that and and you know it's really very fortunate for him uh, you know i think that nothing happened to him that we know of because uh you know that that was very very dangerous and risky what he exposed did he stay around uh, he i think once his tour was done there and all that got exposed and these folks went down i think he brought him back down i don't know if they do that anymore um i've got a distant cousin that was a judge i could maybe ask him he's retired now as well but you know they they used to have uh, a situation like i said in illinois i don't know if other states do this you might know better than i but they uh you know they would send the judges from downstate here in the rural areas for a, a like a circuit to, you know ride to give them experience i guess in cook county because oh. like i said it's it's drastically different than down here. And I guess it was to kind of break them in. And after they did a tour of duty in Chicago, they would return back here. Huh. So I don't so know. I don't know if they practice that. This was in the seventies and eighties, you know, as you saw when that operation took place. And yeah, I don't know if they, I, I don't know that now. I mean, I've been working for the court system for quite a while and I haven't seen that done anymore. So right. I'm guessing it's not done anymore, but back then that was apparently a common practice, but to my knowledge, you know, once this operation was over and all these uh, judges and attorneys, you know, were brought to justice, he, you know, he returned back here to Southern Illinois. And I think he served some time on the bench here. And then, you know, like I said, eventually, I think he went into private practice a little while yeah. before, you know, finally hanging it up. But, uh, you know, I mean, who knows, they might have stopped that practice because of what happened, you know, I mean, they probably didn't want anyone else to expose all the corruption up there so that that very well may be something that put an end to it i'm not really sure i haven't heard of that practice yeah. being done anymore in a long time but uh you know i'm now, sure look, it was an eye-opener for him you know coming from down here and going up there and seeing all that i'm sure was a you know he was he was shell-shocked i'm sure yeah now he was the one who he wore the wire right yes he was the judge that uh, wore the wire and uh I think, you know, from what I heard, he was, you know, down here, like I said, it's a pretty rural area. And, you know, he just came across as a good old country boy, would wear his cowboy boots and that kind of thing. And I think, yeah. you know, people felt relaxed and probably felt like he was no threat, which I think came in handy. And, you know, they trusted yeah. him more than they needed to. And, and they said more than they needed to. And that really helped him. Matter of fact, I think one of the judge uh, attorneys for one of the 
indicted lawyers called him a hillbilly or redneck or something on the stand. He got frustrated with him. And, you know, <laughs> but I think that, you know, just good old country boy way about him made people be at ease and trusting of him. And that right. helped him actually help bring a lot of people to justice. But, you know, I mean, people have a tendency to trust that, you know, Mr. Khan, as I said, he called himself a man of the people, you know, and he really sold himself on that. And I mean, he was a good marketer. I've seen the average, you know, the episode of American greed. He had the big 40, 50 foot statue of Abraham Lincoln on his parking lot. And, you know, he used the, you know, kind of like Hawaiian tropic girls scantily clad to help promote, you know, his business. I mean, very flashy and very flamboyant, but, you know, yeah. underneath it all, the substance did not meet the style. And I mean, yeah. I, I can't imagine how soulless you would have to be to rip people off like that, you know, their livelihood, because, you know, if somebody like in that case, a disabled coal miner, that is going to be, you know, possibly their only livelihood that's keeping them from being out on the streets and being homeless. And that is what happened, unfortunately, to some of the people, you know, and because their their disability claims were suspended until they could be further reviewed. And, you know, suddenly they had no income coming in. And like I said, a few of them actually committed suicide. And, you know, that's the thing about white collar crime folks it you know it oftentimes harms people honestly in worse ways than street crime does and mm -hmm. uh the lives that are affected and impacted sometimes are impacted so much worse and for such a longer period of time but you know you just don't see white collar crime get the attention that street crime does in in news media or anything else yeah i find that what happened to me was it's so complicated you know i mean even my friends and other attorneys and things, you know, it gets so complex yep. that, uh, you know, it's, I did go to the police um, because I knew I couldn't go to the bar association. So I went to the police and, um, and, you know, they just, I remember the detective saying to me, you know, this is above my pay grade, ma'am. Yep. <laughs> you know, and I understood that, but uh, that's why we, you know, it's easy to, uh, I guess, you know, get somebody for hitting somebody over the head and stealing their money or breaking into a car. But um, yeah, white collar crimes cause they're devastating to people. Yep. And so many ways. And yeah, and they're, I think they're harder to police in a lot of ways, because like in your situation, you know, law enforcement is not going to get involved because, you know, as that detective told you, and I, and I agree, he's probably telling you the truth, you know, it probably is above what he deals with. So you're going to have to depend on basically the bar association to police itself here correct <laughs> mm-hmm to police its own yes and uh th th that really is the assumption is that um all roads lead to the bar if you're somebody harmed by a lawyer um wow. and so if the, you know that's like it is the chicken guarding the hen house for sure or the fox guarding the hen house sorry um well, so, and you yeah. know, the thing is that it's, it's a, you know, you got that fiduciary relationship too. And that's what I talked about in the con podcast, you know, people entrusted him because, you know, it's like a doctor, an attorney, you know, there's certain people that yeah. you trust with, you know, and they have actually a legal obligation to look out after your best interest, but clearly in his case, and, you know, clearly what happened in operation Greylord, these attorneys and judges were clearly not looking in the best interest of the public for sure. And, uh, you know, when that happens, you can only hope, you know, I'll be honest, Greg and I talked about this too. I don't know with the corruption we have now in the, the environment that we have now with the FBI and, and Cook County and everything like that. I don't know if that could be pulled off today like it was 
you know, 40 some odd years ago, whenever that happened. I, I don't know that we could pull it off like we did then. Who knows? I mean, you mean pull off a um, catching them, you mean? Yes, catching them and getting the convictions and things like that, getting the FBI to cooperate. And, you know, because I mean, I've talked about this on on the podcast some too. The, it's almost like the FBI anymore has become politicized as well and, and you know, partisan and on a lot of issues. And, you know, I don't know that anymore. I mean, I, I don't know that I would feel confident in them to do the right thing like they did in this case you know now i think things have changed and you know it just seems like it would be harder to pull off i could be wrong but i I think you know greg agreed with me too it'd probably be really hard to pull this operation off now but when they do go after somebody it gets a lot of publicity so i think that we all we assume you know as ordinary citizens i guess i'm thinking of bernie madoff for example yeah um you know that got so much publicity but really think about, you know, the times when we don't even hear about those kind of scams because they're on a smaller scale or because they don't involve important people. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and, and so I guess, you know, but when you get when they get so much publicity, you think, well, if that ever happened to me, there'd be somewhere I could go. <laughs> there would be some uh, redress or recourse for me, but there isn't. There isn't. And, you know, I talked about, you know, oftentimes people, you know, aren't compensated like they're supposed to, you know, example, uh, Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, he was ordered to pay, I think, you know, millions in restitution to his victims. And as far as I know, he's paid little to none, despite Mm -hmm. being out of prison for quite a few years here. And he, uh, you know, he's now, I think, living in Australia, just living like a rock star right now. And he's, you know, touring around giving uh, lectures and uh, seminars and things like that making a killing and I mean this is a guy that you know not quite as high up as Madoff but make no mistake about it he ruined a lot of lives you know and uh, was a grade a con artist I'll never forget what he told you know the FBI agents that arrested him you know I guess when he was interviewed or whatnot that uh, it was so bad there towards the end that when he got up every day the first thing on his mind when he opened his eyes and woke up was to think of a new way to rip people off that day you know I mean he was just a predator Mm -hmm. basically you know and and people like that are dangerous and you know he he to me you know roaming around like this is every bit as dangerous as uh, a lot of street criminals that are out roaming the streets yeah more so right you know because uh you know and the and the bad thing is about white collar crime you know as we've talked about you know it's it there's that position or you know there's that relationship of trust of course that has to be violated and you know these crimes are often committed from a distance people don't know they've been harmed until after the fact you know if you're walking around later and somebody comes up with a gun and and robs you out on the street right then and there you know this is happening to you but exactly in the case of Madoff when he was ripping people off with his uh you know Ponzi scheme and and everything like that you know this was going on for years that he was ripping people off before they had any idea what was going on right right yeah it's the more complicated it is um the more difficult it is to get help really I mean if somebody robs you on the street, it's pretty clear what happened. I mean, it might be a challenge catching the person or right. identifying right. them, but um, it's no, it's, you know, it's not rocket science. No, exactly. And I mean, you know, it, it's so hard, you know, and it's not hard to prove intent, you know, and things like that. But, you know, that's another issue you run into in white collar crimes is sometimes it can be difficult to prove intent and, uh, you know, so much of it, it's just such a complex area of crime. And, you know, we really don't know that much about it because, you know, we don't hear that much about it. And, 
you know, there's so much of it out there that probably people don't consider white collar crime, you know, in a situation, you know, with some of the things we've talked about in the legal profession and all that, you know, to me, these are textbook white collar crimes. There's other people, though, that only define it as the big, uh, you know, business executive or the big Wall Street guy like a Bernie Madoff or Jordan Belfort, but it's not. I mean, people on small scales do yeah. this stuff. And to me, any type of crime that is ripping somebody off financially or in some way nature like that, you know, uh, you know, using a position of power to, you know, benefit themselves illegally, that is white collar crime, you know. A position of trust where, you know, with an attorney, you have to trust them it's the whole relationship is based on that. And when, you know, so predator is the best word I can think of because, you know, it's just by definition predatory. If you're an attorney and you, you, uh, you know, it's not an arm's length transaction. You're not dealing with someone who uh, knows that they're in a business relationship. You know, it's just such a totally different, um, uh, if we can't have trust in our attorney or we can't have trust in our doctor, yep. then they really can't do their job for us. No. And, you know, we've, we've done some, uh, some podcasts here on uh, medical profession issues, you know, and uh, you know, my wife works in the, the, you know, healthcare industry and, and she's witnessed some that, you know, that she, you know, would classify acts that she would classify as, as, you know, illegal and unethical, but, you know, Oftentimes, uh, you know, people in these positions and agencies and things are also very rich and powerful and they're able to, uh, you know, avoid any type of uh, accountability. You know, uh, one of the highest uh, downloaded episodes of this show is uh, the one on Purdue Pharmacy that we did. You know, and these are the folks that are almost, you know, for sure the biggest driving force, if not almost the sole driving force behind the opioid crisis we have in America. They are the ones that brought... Uh, oxycotton and all this into right. the mainstream and at the end they were forced into bankruptcy but not a one of them from that company has done a day in jail and they did some highly illegal things you know bribing doctors giving kickbacks on and on i mean things that if normal citizens everyday citizens like you me or greg or somebody like that did we're in jail for doing things not one three hundredth at the level these folks were doing well, and even though they went into bankruptcy, they walked off with their, you know, these people walked off with a lot of money. They did. And, you know, I mentioned that I said, I have no doubt they'll, they'll redirect that money somewhere else, you know, and, you know, sometimes people do. Uh, I don't know if you ever caught the episode we did on the attorney in Missouri that was in doing the uh, funeral home scam thing and uh, getting people to prepay for funerals. Um, he was actually a convicted felon and no longer an attorney, but he set this company up and his son ran it, you know, since he couldn't legally do this as a convicted felon, but he was a quote unquote advisor, you know, or something, but, you know, everybody knew he was running the company. Mm -hmm. Well, come to find out it was a very fraudulent company and a lot of people and the funeral homes found out they were stuck on the hook to have to pay back, you know, when these people's funerals came about, you know, these people had pre prepaid for these funerals for their family members so they're expecting to get them and legally mm -hmm. they found out the funeral homes were on the hook for these so they had to eat the losses on these because of a you know scam artist attorney I think he was in Missouri here next to to me and uh, you know behind the scenes so who knows if the Purdue Purdue people may you know I have no doubt they'll be working behind the scenes doing something and it'll be doing something I have no doubt making money on people's misery and I don't know how bad it is in your area but in my area here and 
a little ways east of me when you get into what's known as Appalachian area, you know, it is, it is an epidemic. I mean, and I, you know, I know as a probation officer, I've lost people on my caseload to heroin overdoses and things like that. I mean, I've seen the impact, you know, right firsthand on it. And again, I don't know how it is in your area, but it is, it is an epidemic around here. Well, homelessness is an epidemic. And I look, I don't know the statistics here on the opioid, you know, opioid addiction, but I do feel that a lot of the homelessness is, you know, related to opioid addiction. Oh yeah. yeah they, I, I agree. They do go hand in hand and, you know, it, it's something, and I plan on doing some podcasts on that, you know, for some time, because I think it's an issue that really needs to be addressed because, you know, it is just killing our country that, you know, the, the addictions and because it does, it leads to so many other problems, homelessness, it leads to you know, broken families, uh, you know, can lead to violence, uh, you know, mental illness, you know, from the effects that, you know, overconsumption of these drugs can do and just on and on and on, you know, and again, it's all for profit. And, and, you know, the, the people like that are behind Purdue Pharma and, and these ones like that do not care, you know, I mean, all they cared about was making a dollar. And to me, it's sickening, you know, that, not only did they profit off this, but they did it illegally, you know, through the bribes and kickbacks and God knows what other kinds of criminal activity. And again, not a one of them has set a day in jail. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and it's just sickening, you know, I know you've probably seen it plenty of times as an attorney, you know, people go to prison for far, far less than this. I know I have, you know, when I was a correctional officer, I've transported people to prison for crimes that are not even in the same universe as what these folks were doing, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think I mentioned before we came on the air that when I was reading this book, I got triggered by some of the stuff I was reading about, like the judge who wanted to, um, you know, send a message to the attorney that, you know, he better start paying up. So he sent his client who was innocent, apparently off to prison. Yes. For a long time. And I was, uh, if you've ever had a judge who means you harm, it's, you know, uh, it really triggered me. Yeah. And that's a scary thing. I know, you know, I mean, judges wield a lot of power, you know, in that courtroom and you get one in that case that's willing to use that power harmfully and illegally. It, it, that's a scary thing. Without any conscience, conscience, immoral. Yep. And it is very scary. And, uh, and I know your, you know, your situation right now. And uh, I may, if you, if you want uh, in a few weeks some, or something down the road, if you want to continue to come on and update us on your situation, uh, you are more than welcome to, because we want, you know, our listeners to know, you know, what's going on because you're fighting a very tough uphill battle. And again, those of you, if you're listening for the first time, Sandra's battling, you know, she is an attorney in Washington state. She's had some problems with the bar association. She's fighting some wrongdoing and for some reform and change. And, you know, she's facing a long uphill battle, unfortunately, I would say. Right. Yeah. I, um, I just kind of keep plugging away. I'm, I'm not being silent about it, but um, they have, they have power on their side and it's not an issue that a lot of people are talking about. So um, I'm still looking for a way to have it be known that this is a source of corruption in our court system. And, um, you know, I, I think if you're a practicing attorney in Washington, the last thing you want is for the Bar Association to, um, you know, 
be retaliating against you. So you kind of distance yourself from anybody who it, it's like the McCarthy era. I, I keep thinking of that, you know, that period in our history. Um, and, and that's what it feels like. You're alone. You're so alone. And that's the worst part of it. But um, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep speaking. And, you know, I know there are attorneys out there who feel the same as I do. Unfortunately, I think we're a diaspora of people who learned the hard way. Yeah. And so uh, we're all kind of in the same boat. Well, know? I thought of you, you know, when I mentioned the con podcast, you know, about the two ladies that came forward and blew the whistle and, you know, what ended up happening to them. And, you know, I kind of thought of your situation, you know, because uh, unfortunately in, yeah. in white collar crime, that is often what happens. Sometimes, you know, the people who bring this to light end up suffering almost as much as, uh, you know, some of the actual victims of these crimes. Yeah. And I, I actually, in my case, I was a victim and my clients were victims. And uh, although I'm a lawyer in this case, in this situation I was in, I was a client and I was defrauded. And, you know, this attorney just saw a lot of money and he wanted a cut of it. And so he made sure that it got put into the court registry while he billed me for fees that uh, for an unnecessary lawsuit. It was years of stress. And, um, and yet, and the most painful thing is that he goes off with a good reputation and I'm destroyed by my own bar association. So, and I know it's gotta be frustrating. I'm sure, you know, when you were a law student and, you know, taking the bar exam and when you first got into this profession, you probably never dreamed it would end up like that. You know, I was a, no, I was a true believer in our system. I really was. Yep. And, you know, and that's something, you know, that unfortunately it's just a reality we live in. Uh, you know, I talk about that a lot on this podcast that there are two different, you know, justice systems really in America. You know, there's one for, you know, the common folk and then there's one for the rich and powerful. And it, it really is a two tiered system. Anyone that out there, if you think it's not, you know, it's just not the case. You know, I love our constitution. I love our country, but, you know, I mean, we do have unfortunately flaws in our system right now. And there, you know, right now, I think that it's just clearly the case, uh, you know, that this money and, and power can get people out of a lot of things. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know, you know, if that's going to change anytime soon, but, uh, you know, on here, we'll continue to, you know, expose these type of cases. And yes, if, uh, you want to, uh, come back soon and give us an update on your situation. Um, do you, uh, do you think, uh, do you have any type of, uh, like appearances or anything coming up soon or? Uh, no, I don't, but I, I do kind of have something in the works. And so I may have some news for you. Okay. Yeah. We'll leave that up to you with your yeah. situation, what's going. And, uh, yeah, we, we certainly hope, uh, wish you the best, you know, pulling for you, you know, because we, you know, we pull for the underdog on this, this show and, uh, you know, but I think, you know, you are doing the right thing and that's, that's what matters the most. And, you know, hopefully in the end, as they say, the truth prevails because, uh, you know, I know this has probably been a stressful situation for you and, you know, it's been going on for what, a few years now. So, um, 11, wow. Okay. <laughs> 11 years. <laughs> wow. Well, I hope this, uh, you know, is brought to, you know, you get some relief on it soon. Cause yeah, I can only imagine the, you know, the pain of having to deal with that, but, uh, yeah, I'd like to, you know, we'll have you 
back and give us an update on that and then maybe you know do yeah, maybe more. i'll have some uplifting news let's yes. hope so let's hope so and hopefully uh you know we can have a little we'll have you on there for a little more commentary as well on uh you know some of these issues that are going on in the legal system and you know uh the two big areas right now that we really seem to the direction this show really seems to be taking there's just a lot of in the the legal and you know, pharmaceutical industries where there just seems to be a lot of white collar crime happening. You know, I mean, there's always been some on Wall Street, but we're finding out now there is a hell of a lot of it that's happening, you know, in these two industries as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's another area, which is, you know, the, um, have you heard of this problem of the elderly being taken advantage of? Yes, uh, I actually did right around Christmas, I think it was, did a podcast on some elderly abuse scams that go on too and warning signs to watch out for. And uh, there's a lady I know around here uh, that actually is, that's what her area of law is, is, uh, you know, elder abuse and elder law and things like that. And yeah, that sadly, there's a lot of that. And if you would like to come back on and discuss that, we can certainly do, you know, a little follow up on on that as well, because that's a group in society that doesn't have much of a voice either. Yeah. And it's this whole guardianship system, um, people taking advantage of the guardianship system. It's very scary. Well, if you want to, in a future podcast, we can have you back and educate because I, I would be interested to see, you know, what, you know, ways they are taking advantage of it. So if you would like to come back in a few weeks and do a little follow-up on that you are certainly welcome to okay great well great. and i like i said maybe i'll have something in my own case to report that's positive i hope yes. so well we'll certainly wish you the best and if you have an idea for any podcast you want to know or want to hear about just reach out you know sandra was a listener here and did that and you know we are more than glad to give you a forum or you know even if you don't want to come on if you have an idea you just want to discuss uh you can contact us on our anchor fm page uh you can also email me at uh, ryanhornvt at gmail.com uh also check out my website for if you're in need of any voiceover service or any work like that uh ryan-horn.com but uh we most importantly just appreciate you tuning in and listening and helping us spread the word and expose this subject that doesn't really get the focus that it needs in our opinion and uh, hope to continue to help us grow and build and yes if you have ideas or you do want to come on the show feel free to contact me in one of those forums you can also follow us on our Facebook page white collar crimes and uh, you know send us an idea for a show on there because uh, there's so much of this and we're always welcoming of any type of new ideas. So uh, yeah, look forward to having you back in a few weeks, Sandra, and, and kind of exploring that a little bit, how people are abusing the guardianship system. I, I would, I'm being curious, being educated on that as well. So we'll just uh, set a future date for that and uh, would love to have you back on and discuss that. Okay, thanks, Ryan. Well, folks, we thank you for tuning in and appreciate you being a part of this. And uh, hopefully, uh, We'll have some good updates on Sandra's situation, and we'll have some new cases as always coming up. Uh, we have some, a lot of them coming up on uh, corruption in the legal and pharmaceutical industry. And any other ideas you have, we are listening. And uh, we do thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you on the next time. Thanks for joining us, folks.